not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So while it's good to talk about serious things, it's just as important and just as American to have some fun. Now, let's have some fun. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Leaning Middle. I'm Eric. And I'm Brian. And today we're going to be taking a look at one of the biggest questions in the uh, 2020 election so far as results, you know, kind of continue to wind down here. And that is why were the polls so off in favor of the Democrats once again? Yeah, I think that was that was the hard part for for a lot of people going into this election was uh, expectations because um, yes. we know that they got it wrong in 2016 uh, horribly. And you and I kind of talked about polls be- before because I was kind of a little a- apprehensive about some of the, the information coming out and you were kind of explaining the difference between 2016 and then what we saw in 2018 and then uh, what our expectations could be here because a, a lot of people thought, okay, maybe we, maybe the, the Trump thing was just an anomaly and mm-hmm. maybe it is Trump. Maybe he just breaks the polls. I don't know. But um, we were really, really misled when it came to the polls. And uh, usually it's something that, that people in the political arena really try to give as much credence as possible and and yeah. people put their careers on the line because of these polls. And yep. man, just the, the last, I would say three elections, these guys are just wrong. Yep. Completely, completely wrong, but in a funny way, a lot less wrong than I think the general public realizes. Okay. And one of the things you and I just talked about right before we started this was I don't even completely understand how polling is done, but you yeah. do. So, um, how does how does this even work? So, there. First of all, what should be noted is polling as an industry is going through a paradigm shift right now. It is changing, um, you know, the industry as a, at a very base level, and it's actually a change that we went through in advertising, you know, over a decade ago, which was the shift from um, kind of manual polling to digital polling. So even, you know, in terms of phone calls and just calling people's residences and polling that way, that's being used less and less and less. In-person polling is being used less and less, and it's all kind of starting to shift to a more digital platform. You might get email solicitations. You might have targeted ads on social media specifically. So, what that creates is several different ways to do polling, which um, most uh, reputable polling sources try to do sample sizes of um, around 800 to, you know, up to 2000. And there's a lot of different ways you can look at polls. Um, there's confidence-based polls, which are the only ones that major media outlets are reporting, which have some level of scientific analysis put into them. Then there's just random, randomized, just kind of let's get a feel of you know what the electorate looks like kind of polling, which technically does not have a lot of scientific analysis behind it. 
um, because the samples aren't broken down specifically to make sure that, you know, demographic thresholds are met. Because if you take a snapshot of a state like Texas and you're reducing the population down to, let's say, 1,200 people, you want to make sure those 1,200 people exactly match the demographics from gender and race and um, even educational backgrounds that are reflective of the state as a whole. So that's kind of the idea of how to get a scientific sample versus the non-scientific sample is kind of just like a shotgun blast. So, okay, so, let's, you know, let's shoot this out and find out what, you know, just people on the street think. And the scientific analysis gave a much more lean towards um, Democrats, whereas kind of that shotgun blast, which is technically less scientific, actually developed results that were much closer to the outcome that we're ultimately seeing now. Okay, so you're talking about sample sizes that accurately gauge a state and an area. Would it be safe to say that part of the reason that um, these pollsters are, are getting it so wrong is that the demographic breakdown of states is becoming more diverse than they have been in the past? That's definitely um, plays a role in it. I think it's also too important, uh, important to remember that the last census data that we're relying on was 2010. Yeah. So well, that's, and that's 10 years of shift. If you just think about, um, you know, a state like Texas, uh, that's a huge, you know, there's going to be a huge yeah. uptick in Latinx population as, um, you know, as this new census data comes in for 2020, the one that just concluded. So, well, and I know from our industry, we read the analytics and the data quite frequently. And we know that um, there is a shift happening right now with Californians leaving yep. California because of the cost of living, because of the taxes, mm -hmm. uh, because of all that. Well, their beliefs don't change, but they're exactly. migrating to different areas. And so you're taking this deep blue thought process or belief uh -huh. and injecting it into the middle of some of these very red areas. And I think, I think Georgia is a very good example of what happened during this, uh, this this whole election, which was all of a sudden you started seeing some counties that have typically been really strong red start having a little bit more of a blue tint to it. Uh, yes. I'm not saying that it turned it blue, but I'm saying those those numbers were a little bit closer than they had been in in the past. And and I think what we do know from from data and analytics is you're having a shift of people moving out of New York City. Very mm -hmm. heavy blue. You have people Just the moving out of in general. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And and they're moving to the the Midwest to the smaller towns. We know that Boise, Idaho, is considered uh, Little Denver, and yeah. a lot of people from the Denver market are moving to Boise because it's a little bit more of Boise's a little bit more of what Denver used to be before. Yes it really started getting overpopulated and everything else. So I think that's part of what you're seeing right now. And, and it's very hard to use the same typical polling algorithm. And, mm -hmm. and even as you're mm -hmm. talking about the paradigm shift, the, the thought process doesn't quite match up with what's actually going on right now. And yeah, that, that paradigm shift from, um, you know, kind of manual polling methods to digital mixed with what you were just talking about, this population shift, is exactly what is producing kind of these unrealistic mm -hmm. results uh, 
in in polls favoring Democrats, because if you look at people who traditionally vote Democrat, they're younger, they're more digitally savvy, they're more engaged on the Internet, and they're more likely to do polls. You know, they're more likely to get an email and fill it out and return it just as much as, you know, somebody um, is going to maybe see an ad on Facebook asking for them to take a survey uh, Democratic voters are much more likely to engage in that kind of content. So that's where you have, you know, all of a sudden a migration shift happening where these counties are starting to balance out, maybe maybe 30 to 70, 40 to 60 conservative liberal. But then you have the polling methods that are used that greatly favor a younger demographic, which definitely skews to um, the more liberal side. So that's where you're seeing, you know, some of these crazy poll results coming in for a lot of these states that ended up having a much closer margin than what was anticipated is kind of those two things working in unison. And uh, but I'd started the top of the episode talking about how things are a lot closer than a lot of people realize. And, um, you know, I would say polling is going through a PR crisis just as much as it's going through a, uh, a paradigm shift. Because what a lot of people don't tend to actually think about when they're looking at the polls is that really important measure called margin of error. Which is what, I, I believe it's what, 2%? It one percent, is. It, one it, and a half it, it percent? It depends. Across all different polls, they'll have different margins of errors. You know, for example, for tonight, uh, I'm sorry, not tonight, but the it feels like Tuesday night part six. But um <laughs> You know, I Tuesday saw a funny night. meme. Uh, sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. I saw a funny meme um, that my wife showed me that was uh, a picture of um, uh, Groundhog's Day. And it's like, yeah. it's election night again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think that's what it feels like for us all. But yeah. um, so what the confidence interval most of the news stations used for to declare a president the victor was 99.95%. Okay. Which is saying only 0.05% of the outcomes at this point would go in favor of the opponent. So we, that's, that's an incredibly high standard statistically. That's almost a gold standard. You can't really get to 99.99% in a situation like an election. It's just impossible. We don't need to go into the statistical reasons for it. But um, so that's what they're using to gauge the presidential election. But in order to do a poll at a 99.95% interval com, uh, confidence interval before the election is also completely impossible because you have voters who might change. You have events that might you know, happen that'll change what people perceive. You might have people who end up getting sick and don't vote. You know, There's a ton of different outcomes that are there. So typically polls are done with anywhere from a three to even 7% margin of error. So that means if you look at a lot of these results that had Biden plus three, plus four, you know, plus two, and then you actually look at the final vote counts where we're not at the final vote count than what we were on election night. And a lot of people don't really realize that. Yeah. As of yesterday, Texas only had, I think, 84% of its vote counted. I know Arkansas hasn't even hit 50% of its vote counted. Yeah. Weird examples to use with what I'm talking about since those aren't going to really change in terms of statistics at this point. But uh, I think Arizona is doing there, another dump right now, actually. Really? That'll yeah. be interesting to see who ultimately wins that. 
I know. Yeah, uh, I, I don't. The... I, I was just right before we got on here. They were talking about how uh, Maricopa County was coming back with, or was going to release some more, um, more numbers. In interesting, they're probably Very doing it right now. Actually, well, that'll be uh, that'll be cool to take a look at once we wrap this up. But yeah, having you know, when you take the confidence margin uh, intervals into effect and the margin of error, a lot of these states aren't falling outside of that margin of error. Except, you know, there's outliers. Like, there's that one insane poll that said Biden was up plus 17 in Wisconsin. But most most people, sane people at least, knew to kind of view that as an anomaly. Um, but So the polling wasn't that far off, but nobody's really talking about margin of error and how important that is to keep in mind and how much that these polls really are a brief snapshot of that moment. So um, that also plays into effect. But... We also definitely need to talk about the one major problem that I think a lot of Democrats are wanting to avoid right now, which is they are starting to fail with um, attracting minority voters to their party. I think Trump did did prove that point. Definitely. Um, so well, you said something just a minute ago that I kind of wanted to jump back to. And you said, um, you know, some of these polls were um, worth looking at. Some of them were not worth looking at. And I guess one of my questions is um, for someone who is trying to understand what's going on and like you and I have talked about before that um, a lot of what we try to do is take news information from several different areas and come up with our own intelligent understanding of the situation and and have our own intelligent thought yeah so if i'm a if i'm someone and i'm trying to understand all these news stations are throwing out their poll numbers and they're all kind of saying this is Uh you know this and that and the other what where should i go like what what's a reputable firm polling firm that i could go okay these guys probably are are who i want to go to for news um, and, and get actual numbers and, and have verified data? It is very, very hard to answer that. For one reason, above all, is polling is very, above all, is very expensive to do. It's a very laborious process. There's a lot of need for people with very high statistical knowledge, um, which is not, they don't come <laughs> cheap. Me. And, um, so you have two ways you can kind of handle polling. There are, well, three ways, really. You have your media outlets, which I'm not even going to touch that because, <laughs> uh, you know, as much as I can say that even slanting ones have pretty good external polling offices. Yeah. For example, like the Fox News um, election, depart- election desk is an entire different company than Fox News itself. So... And that's kind of how it's set up in many different uh, major media markets. That's why, you know, Fox, which is traditionally an ally of the president, was calling states in favor of Biden before any other outlet because they aren't going off of any partisan sway. They're going off of entirely the numbers. But that being said, a lot of those departments across media stations aren't used in polling, just the election side of it. So when you're looking at like a CNN poll, Sure. You know, they're doing everything that they can to 
make a poll as accurate as possible. But just the fact that it's coming from a news station like CNN means more people are likely going to respond who have seen that poll, <laughs> which means more liberally slanted people. And that goes the same, you know, across the uh, entire spectrum in terms of media outlets. So I'd say kind of wipe that off. Then the second source is your aggregators, which, you know, sometimes they do some polling um, themselves where or they go out and they aggregate all the different polls that have come in. Um, I think the ones that people might be most uh, kind of familiar with, it's like 538. They do a good job of aggregating a bunch of different polls. They also run their own simulations of election outcomes, which I think is really helpful. Because a lot of people might see a poll in a certain state as like 5149 and be like, oh, that's really close. But then when you actually run election simulations, 83% of the simulations are going for the guy who has the 51%. So it, it, it's very weird when you start to look at the difference between what polling is versus what election day simulations are. But Aggregators, I think, are a really good source, but you also have to keep in mind that they're aggregating from a bunch of different media outlets and a bunch of different pollsters. So what that means is any given day, that snapshot can be skewed in one great, you know, one very serious direction versus the other. So if you can't even really rely on that, then you would have to look at individual pollsters, which there are very credible ones like Quinnipiac University. It's known for their actuarial science program. It's known for their statistics. I know um, I, there was a point in time where I was looking to go into actuarial science, and I was actually looking at Quinnipiac University, and it's incredible the kind of polling that they do. It's very science-based. It works very hard on making sure all margins of error are met. And then you also have kind of massive polling firms that aren't necessarily connected to a university like the Seltzers. I think a lot of people are familiar with the Seltzer polls. Right. And um, they, they are probably the most credible outlet you can go with. But again, it's hard because Seltzer polls aren't releasing a poll of every single state every single day. You know, polling takes a lot, a lot of time and somebody will have to hire them to do a poll. And, um, you know, that's but when somebody is hired when they do hire a seltzer kind of company to run a poll, we see results that are much more closer to the reality. I know Iowa is a good example of that, where everybody was saying it was leaning Democrat. I know the uh, the Democratic senator uh, challenger uh, for the Senate race in Iowa actually polled above the incumbent for the entire campaign cycle up until <laughs> the seltzer poll was released which put the, the Republican incumbent up plus four and Trump plus seven in the state. Ultimately, Iowa reelected um, Joni Ernst, Teresa Greenfield lost, and um, Trump won the state. So you can kind of see when really good polling is done and paid for, it's going to have results that are much closer to it. But that's the other side of it, is it all is just offering a snapshot. Right. So at the end of the day, I think the easiest answer you have is every morning when you wake up and you check the polls, you have to say, when were the polls done? If they were done two or three days ago, especially in a news cycle like we were in this election, then they could be totally invalidated. So it's, it, that's the biggest piece of advice I have is look at individual, individual pollsters, but also understand that when poll results come in, that's just an indication of that moment in time. So 
are because there's really two different versions of of uh, pollsters, in my opinion. There's the ones that get reported to the general public, and we get a brief synopsis of what the poll looks like. And then there's the polls that the the campaigns have access to and and they use. And, and most of those campaigns, in my understanding, have their own um, companies that they or their own polls that they they really go through. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I think both um, both campaigns will hire their um, own in-house pollsters. But um, even then, it, it really is a toss-up in terms of who they're using, what numbers they're seeing, because they're traditionally not released to the public. Right. Um, they are used as a campaign kind of dialogue, where the Trump campaign obviously said, hey, our internal polls are saying this is way closer than it is. Biden's campaign echoed the exact same thing. Um, and I think both campaigns knew very early on that it, it was a, it's a non-traditional year. You know, we also have to keep in mind that, yeah, the polls polls were wrong terribly again in 2020, but we're asking the pollsters to try to do this research without knocking on doors, without canvassing um, in the midst of a pandemic. When a lot of people are changing their political views rapidly based off of, you know, just the the situation that's unfolding before our eyes. So it's so tricky well, <laughs> um, and... to get an accurate read in anything right now that both camps were not ready to release those numbers to the public to say what they were seeing. Yeah. And I, I was listening to another podcast earlier today and they made a comment that really resonated with me and, and uh, kind of has stuck with me, which is their belief is that we are a center left society in a center right system. Yeah. And I think that is, I, I think, a very I think that's, good summary. <laughs> that's kind of where the uh, the polls have a hard time is because they're trying to work within a center right system and yeah. uh, they're having a hard time gauging the, the center left um, movement because I, I think there's a lot more people that are independent than there are registered independents. And, yes. uh, you know, and that's a, an episode you and I have talked about doing, which is, um, you know, a third party uh, introducing a third party to the system or uh, where the, the independent person uh, really falls inside the political system. But, yeah, I, I think it, how significant of a role and this is me asking someone who has been in on campaigns and and understands the other side of of this because for people like me who've never been inside a campaign i just hear what gets broadcasted out and i get the pub the politician spin on it so yeah as far as inside the campaign what how significant of a role does the polling play it honestly early on it plays very little and uh, there's an enormous amount of skepticism every single poll is met with. Where polling starts to make a huge impact on the campaign is the last 30 days. Because at that point, you have hard decisions to make, which is, okay, what are our true battleground states? You know, where I think everybody is kind of familiar with what's going to be the Democratic stronghold versus what's going to be the Southern, the conservative stronghold, which is the Southern states and the Democrats or the Northeast in California. 
And then everything else in the middle is, you know, slants one way or the other, but there's a lot of those battleground states that are the blue wall. And we're seeing um, some new ones emerge in the Southwest as well with Texas and Arizona and Nevada, as the Republicans have pulled that back into play for them after losing a couple of cycles, even if Biden's going to take it, it's going to be by a more narrow margin than it has been. So um, having this, this divide is when you're coming up to the election and you have to say what states are worth visiting, what states do we feel safe in, what states are we writing off entirely. And you can see, you know, both Trump and Biden saw the polls coming out of Pennsylvania and they ran there. You know, Trump worked much, much harder than Biden did. Biden had his hometown advantage as well as the uh, the very small universe of the Philadelphia metro area and the Philadelphia suburbs that I'm very well versed in growing up there. That was a huge battleground, probably the largest battleground area in the entire country. Um, So both people flocked there. But, you know, you also saw Biden stop going to North Carolina as much and started to divert focus to Georgia away from Florida, even, you know, with Kamala visiting in Atlanta the uh, the day before Election Day. And obviously they saw something happening in Georgia that the general public didn't. So they went, you know, full on from their internal polls and did a push there, which looks like it's going to pay off in one of the most stunning upsets of the entire election. Yeah, it, it's um, it's interesting to me that Trump's campaign, and and this is something that's been documented, that he was not as confident in his team uh, as he was uh, in 2016. Um, And and he made quite a few references to Biden's team as a bunch of killers, and and he was a little envious of Biden's team. And, And I think that kind of showed because... There was quite a few uh, there leading right up to the election. A lot of people were talking about how Texas can flip and that it's actually in play. And you you know for a fact that um, several people were trying to get Kamala or Biden or somebody to come down and speak in Texas. And they looked at yeah. their numbers and they just said, you know what, that's not where our battleground is. Our battleground is going to be over yep. here. And they just they chose not to participate in Texas at that that time. And I think for a lot of people who are, are just sitting there watching it, they're kind of going, yeah. why, why aren't they fighting for this? Like, why aren't they here? And I think it comes down to those polls and the numbers and the data. And, and you make decisions based off of that. strategy. So um, yeah. which, which polls uh, do you think or, or were there any I know the pollsters got it wrong. So this question is going to come out wrong. But which which one caught you off guard the most? That was so wrong. Yeah, it was so wrong. <sighs> that's the, that's the catch 22 question, because like I said, as as the results are tallied across most states, it's going to be surprisingly close to how accurate all these polls were. A lot of annoyance on election day. So none of them are absolutely like abhorrent. Right. I have to say um, the New York Times upshot, which is an aggregating service, was excellent this cycle. Um, I will say the New York Times has an election night feature called The Needle, which um, – is complete garbage. And I think it's really ambitious of them to try to do something like that. But I think they also need to 
<laughs> to work on it a little bit more. Um, but it is very interesting because it did have one major success. While it initially showed North Carolina heavy, heavily favoring Biden, and that was wrong, it was the first thing that moved Georgia into likely Biden out of anything. I mean, this was before even Atlanta results were um, calculated. So it's artificial intelligence based. I don't need to go into the specifics of how it works, right. but it's surprising since they did have one major call before anybody else on election night. So, I mean, that's another topic we can get into how artificial intelligence is going to start to shape um, polling in the future and what that means and how accurate it can get. But overall, I would say the polls that just got it, um, the the absolute most like incorrect were the major media outlets. CNN did terribly. Fox News did absolutely terribly. NBC wasn't too bad. ABC didn't do great, and CBS did not do great either. Right. So uh, if that's the biggest thing I would say. Everybody has their network that they love. You know, I watched all of the election coverage from NBC this year, just because I also think the uh, the dynamic between Savannah Guthrie and Chuck Todd almost fighting each other at a couple points was entertaining, <laughs> but. I would say stay away from major media outlets when you're looking in terms of polling resources and data that you can really trust at any given point in a campaign. Okay, so where does polling go from here? Because it, I would say confidence in polling is at an all-time low. So, and yeah. beca- and a, a, a second follow-up question to that is, how important is polling going to be moving forward as we look at companies like Cambridge Analytica and, and I'm pulling that one from, if you guys haven't seen The Great Hack um, on Netflix, it's an excellent documentary that, that really dives down into Cambridge Analytica and the Facebook and the amount of data points that these campaigns have um, and, and the yeah. influence that they have. And those aren't pollsters. Those aren't poll numbers. Those are data being used to pinpoint possible um, persuaded people or, or possible the possibility of flipping someone who's open to interpretation of data and, and, and everything else. Um, how big of a role did those guys play as the pollsters really start kind of losing some credibility and the, um, the, the whole market opens up per, per se for, for these, these campaigns to take, action versus trying to to read the data and then slowly make make some shifts um in that yeah and that's the interesting thing is you know i mentioned earlier the difference between election polling and election simulations and i think that's where the general trend of the industry is going to start to move where polling pollsters in their traditional profession are going to become more and more antiquated because we've gotten to a point in Cambridge Analytica and all that scandal kind of proves is you don't really need people asking. You know, you could go to somebody's Facebook page and honestly, especially in this election, within a few minutes, probably figure out who they're voting. For. Yeah. Um, so and obviously Facebook has increased their security measures and it's a lot harder to write scripts to just kind of scrape this information and collect data from public profiles. But it's still entirely possible if your privacy settings are public on Facebook, people can write scripts to go through and collect all the information from your Facebook wall. And like there's nothing that can be done about it because it's just an open Internet right. page. 
So data can be aggregated incredibly quickly and done so very much more quickly than polls. And what we're starting to see with, you know, experiments like the New York Times needle is all of this data taking in social media data as well as, you know, real polling um, data and just kind of general trends, digital trends is we're seeing election simulations start to give um, an artificial intelligence alongside with that election simulations starting to give more accurate results. And even this cycle, it gave more accurate results. And most people said like, oh, this is totally wrong because it's not matching up with traditional polling. So clearly we have more work to do on the program. <laughs> when the program came out, it ended up being more right. And the reality was, so crap, we have a lot of work to do on traditional right. polling. So we're probably going to see a lot more artificial intelligence um, start to do these kind of poll forecasts. And it'll be very interesting to see the legitimacy of that if people will even trust it, you know, and ultimately what if it gets so good, then it becomes a minority report situation, but you know, well, we can talk about this topia yeah, another day. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think that it's really interesting that, and I'm using Cambridge Analytica cause they were in the, the documentary. Um, I don't know what the other companies do, but we know that there's other companies out there. Cambridge Analytica uh -huh. had 5,000 points of data per person and they had mm -hmm. what was it 30 million accounts 30 million people yep so i i think that's really where where it's leaning now in a marketing sense i would say polling is kind of the traditional uh television or or traditional media yep and the this new uh data driven um action required direction is more of the digital uh, realm of, of things, your, your social medias and, and whatnot. So um, I think it's definitely going to have an impact. I, I think that it's moving more in that direction because I think this year really was devastating. The, uh, the last three cycles have been very devastating to the pollsters um, just because they just keep getting it wrong. Like, and, and now mm -hmm. to your point, they're not getting it wrong as much as they're getting it within that margin of error, but the perception mm -hmm. is reality. And that's something that, that we talk about in marketing all the time. It, it doesn't matter what we say, it's what is perceived. And right now the perception yeah. is that I can't trust what these guys are saying. So the next time I we're in an election and somebody says, well, the polls are saying that uh, so-and-so is up, I'm going to kind of go, eh, well, you know, we'll see. So, yeah. And I think the best thing pollsters could do, which would infuriate a lot of people is just start making it a range, you know, don't say 51 with a 3% margin of error, say 48 to 54%, yeah. like, and basically just admit the truth. Which we don't is, really know. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> exactly. Sounds good. Uh, <laughs> so your last take on, on polling. Um, a lot to do um, in terms of if pollsters want to keep their jobs, but a lot of exciting stuff coming down the pipe in terms of technology that we can use to get better readings and forecasts. Cool. Well, uh, that sounds good. We'll, uh, we'll kind of wrap it up from, from here. And it uh, doesn't matter if you are on the left or the right. It's time to start leaning to the middle, just, just like Biden said in his, his we speech. 
Exactly. I hope he's listening. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll we'll explore all that common ground with y'all next time. We will talk yeah, to y'all. And the definitely next like and share. Uh, and if you are in any of those uh, foreign countries in which we have recently picked up, definitely keep sharing with your friends over there.